0: You know every day I'm looking for new opportunities to learn and I think this is you could say this is a trait of an architect but you should every day is an opportunity to learn and value every single experience and every single opportunity
1: Hi everyone, welcome back to the One to 100 architecture podcast where we delve into everything architecture related, shed some light on our personal experiences and help you in understanding the architecture realm. I'm joined here today by Adelaide, Amanda, Basma, Bethany, Cindy, Ray and a very special guest so it really is a full house. The theme of season two is understanding architecture, subjectively know, but we thought that it would be a great idea to see what architecture means to different people. Um, it's so important to create an attachment to a career path such as architecture so that you give it your all and keep your fire burning throughout your journeys. Now I'd like to introduce our guest for today's episode, Antonia Blege. Antonia Blege is an architect practising in London. She is interested in creating architecture that is people-centred with a strong emphasis on sustainability. Antonia graduated from Central Saint Martins Canterbury School of Architecture and the Bartlett respectively. She was nominated for the Reba Silver President's Medal Student Awards in 2017 for her work during her master's in architecture and also recognized as one of the Reba's next generation of black architects in 2018. Antonia is passionate about mentoring and actively mentors architecture students from diverse backgrounds who may have limited knowledge or access to the profession as a way of paying it forward to the next generation. Uh, so without further ado,
0: Antonia, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here.
1: Oh, great. Thank you for, for coming. Um, so the episode for today, we're going to be talking about will I ever be an architect? Now, I know I think we've already come across this subject, but um, it really is important that we get as many different uh, experiences and stories of different uh, people's journeys and um, from our last conversation you have such an amazing journey to tell uh, very triumphant with ups and downs one you know that doesn't seem very easy but (laughs) I mean tell us a little bit about your journey.
0: So I guess sometimes some people know they want to do architecture um, I don't think that was the case for me. I think for me, I I was just interested in art, in design. I loved drawing. I loved being creative. So whatever that meant, I will. I just wanted to express that. So I think um, after six form slash college, I did not know what I wanted to do. So I applied to a whole bunch of courses for uni. I mean, it ranged from performing arts to dance to art and design to theater design to interior and spatial design it was a whole load of things so you're really trying because,
2: it
0: all yeah because I was interested in performing arts as well and also in visual fine arts as well so then um, one of my tutors recommended to me oh you know you've applied to all these um, universities why don't you try for some of the other creative universities or why don't you try for foundation course and you know at that age when you finish sixth when you just think oh I don't want to be behind with my peers don't really want to do a foundation and you know he went on about being um, his foundation year being an excellent year blah 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 so I just said okay I'll apply so I applied to a range of courses foundation courses and at that time only a few um, um, universities offered it in London so then I managed to get into um, Chelsea College of Art and Design and I just thought yeah this is it I liked it I liked the school I was like okay maybe this will help me finally decide what I want to do with my life because it was an art college so you could do anything you wanted it's art school Um, foundation was intense but it was great because you do manage to explore um, all fields so you do um, rotations um, in the first term, which is like fashion, you do visual communication, you do fine art, you do 3D, um, you do everything that has to do with art, design, media, anything. Um, So that was great. It was intense, it was two week rotations with lots of assignments and assessments. Um, And then you choose something that you're going to specialize in. Um, Where I found myself really good at was making side of things. So it was 3D and 3D could um, relate to jewelry or it could relate to anything physical, anything you can make with your hands. So I chose 3D design and then I found myself in the same place. I still did not know where I wanted to go after I finished. And I I still applied for a whole bunch of courses, but I think I knew it needed to it needed to be something spatial, um, something to do with the human body and something to, you know, something where I could express myself um, artistically. And so I applied for, I also applied for interior spatial design and I played for design for performance at Central Saint Martins. That was a very tough course to get into because I believe some of the fashion students, if they didn't get into um, the fashion course, they usually tend to go for, the other course, um, the performance and design for performance, which they could do like costume design. So it was also like a foot in the door. So for me, I, I mean, I do not know, didn't get in and I was quite, I was quite upset. Um, but then I came across a course, which was called um, at the time, architecture spaces and objects. This is before they changed the name to architecture BA architecture. And I just thought, hmm, architecture. Yep, spaces, yep, objects, everything. It's, it's everything all at once. And I think I didn't look back, but at that time when they were finding students for the course they didn't want just anyone from like a standard traditional background they just wanted people who were interested either in performance or fine art or ceramics or product anything they just wanted people so our course i mean we had like we had like an artist like somebody who was like a working artist on our course as well so the way they would present their work would be so weird and it's just like this is an architecture course but you could you could do whatever you wanted so it was very out there let's say Um, but then the course over time in the last few years has changed and it's still good now I believe it has a more of a social agenda so I think going into Central Saint Martin's I think I felt comfortable because I was doing my um, foundation. Let me know if you want me to stop, by the way, because I can go on. And <laughs> let me know which bits you want me to emphasize on, or feel free to jump in and ask questions, because I'm you just know, trying to relive.
1: You know um, what it is? You're really, at, <laughs> you're really good at storytelling. It's like yeah. I'm, I'm visually like I'm in your shoes now, right? Yeah. Now. Like, <laughs> okay. Okay.
0: Like this this is good, my good, good. I'm the main character. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, good. All right, I'll continue. So, you, you know, know, imagine this young 18, 19 year old, you know, just, oh, you know, big world, CSM. Oh my God, you know, what's happening? What's next? Um, you know, Foundation kind of took out the whole idea of when you are in A levels, they spoon feed you. Um, Foundation was meant to be you explore, you can't expect anyone to tell you what to do. Um and then, so that ideally was meant to prepare you for your undergrad. Was I prepared? No, I was prepared in terms of the environment, but was I prepared for the course? I don't I don't know if you can ever be prepared, but that's just me, that's my point of view. First year was good. it was all hand drawings, no computer, no CAD, it's all exploring buildings. It was very weird, but fun because you know, still hard work, um, but still exploring, still understanding what, this whole architecture thing really means. Second year, I think, was my toughest year. I think it was also the first time. At that time, I didn't know it was. And you know, I'm not trying to badmouth the institution, but I have to speak truth to my um, experience. Um, and I think it was the first time I truly experienced institutional racism. And I couldn't recognize it because um, I didn't really. Um, grow up in the UK so my early childhood years and primary school years were in Ghana so I was okay everybody around me was black it's not a problem and so my secondary school education and like college and going into um, uni is all in it's all been in the UK so institutional racism I don't think had experienced it school yeah you have people who make comments but never in the sense that where you felt you just couldn't explain it. And sometimes I just, I, you know, you just think you're mad. <laughs> you think you're mad and this is, is this really happening, but you couldn't put your finger in it, but you knew something wasn't right. You knew you were being treated differently. But, you know, if you told somebody, It'll look at you like you were crazy. Um, second year was also very difficult because it was the first time I found out that I was dyslexic which made a lot of sense in a lot of my work as well in terms of like written works so I, I think I had to overcome a lot in my second year and I think um just to be very candid and very honest sometimes people don't like to say oh they failed a certain module or they failed a certain unit and but the truth is it happens failure happens and I think it was probably the first time I'd ever failed anything um I mean I was distraught I I just I was like what me how I'm somebody who's driven to the point I do what I need to do I get my work done um but it happens and you know you try and go back you try and reflect but also when you're young and you may not have developed um, a certain emotional resilience and um, to certain situations you can find yourself um, yeah just not knowing how to react to the situation so you know I, I look back over those years and you know sometimes these are the moments that spur me on because i'm like never again i'm never going to be put in these in this situation again so second year was really tough but still made it through just in case you fail something doesn't mean you you can't move on you do you you grow up you deal with it um you don't let it hold you back because i think that's one thing i learned third year it didn't get any easier um (laughs) I had some personal challenges, which meant I also had to find um, work whilst I was in my final year and doing final year stuff, which is really intense. Yeah, you don't find yourself, and especially when you look around and you don't see anybody who looks like you. um, We all know architecture has a high dropout rate. Well, I, I know in my first year, we started with about 90 students. By the time we graduated, it was 30, 40 students so either people had moved to different courses or just yeah so I was definitely the only black woman standing and so you know you're still pushing you're still trying to do the best that you can but it still doesn't yeah it it just in my third year I think I was just in survival mode I just needed to get the work done because I was working as well so I didn't even have time to enjoy it as much as i would but third year was actually my favorite year because of the social agenda that um, we had in our briefs and you know we were designing for real people real places and i think that's what the course has um transformed into now and i was like wow yes this is good but i struggled because i was working as well long story short we graduate of course you need to find a job and where do you even begin do you even know how to build a building how does a building stand how does it work so all these three years of university you're like what
1: sorry just to jump in everyone is shaking their heads on camera
2: (laughs) you're just about to comment because you come out and you've got a degree but you feel like you know nothing Yeah. yeah you're just in the world like what Yeah, Yeah. and
0: I think this is a, a very interesting topic about should architecture school prepare architecture students for practice? And, you know, I'm on the fence on this one because if you think about it, even when you do qualify as an architect, you're never gonna know any, um, everything. Like it's impossible. Like it's humanly impossible to know everything. So can you imagine coming out of part one and being super, super ready for practice? I think there are certain aspects that you can learn about practice. Yes, which will be relevant. But the truth is after part one, not everybody wants to continue to do architecture and that's fair. So it still needs to be slightly broad in the sense that people can gain the skills that they want to gain, and keep it moving. What I do think is what we are lacking. I need to be careful with how I say certain things because <laughs> <laughs> this is going out on the internet. You yeah. <laughs> don't um, No, I'm trying not to be because I can be very diplomatic, and you you do need to have to have a skill in that. But um, I'm going to try and be real with it because. We don't learn anything about business. 100%. The truth about running a practice is running a business and also meeting people, building relationships. You know, I do hate the sentiment that, oh, it's all about who you know. I don't think that's what it's about. I do believe is about putting yourself out there. And that can be scary for some people. You you may not want to necessarily show your work online Mm -hmm. Um, in this day and age. I don't know. It just depends. But you definitely should be being, um, you should be meeting people, of course, COVID times, etc. Yeah, we can start meeting people soon. But you can start making connections, whatever that means in the industry, but also outside of the industry. And that, you know, I think this is why I am very passionate about mentoring and just letting people know because it's you know I had to figure it out myself i knew nobody in the industry i don't have any family who was an architect or anybody in the construction industry i had nobody to call on i have just literally been figuring it out and when we speak of um how do you keep going or how did you keep going blah you know just all of that i think the first time i realized oh there's a black woman architect Well, I I saw I met one and I thought it's possible. It was literally like a light bulb moment. I thought it's possible because, you know, I had people in the past tell me, oh, maybe you should just give this thing up. If it's your passion and if it's something you believe this is where you need to be, you almost can't think of what people are saying, but you just kind of have to push through it. Then let's talk about the expense of just being uh, coming from a working class background or a low economic um, family socioeconomic family and just living in London studying in London and having to purchase materials or you know it's tough and as well I had to work and it does impact your studies unfortunately I didn't have the privilege to not work I had to work to you know pay for my travel etc but I do think these are some of the things that not everyone can think about but when you're in it you keep it moving you can't complain because you have to get it done this is the life that you chose and so you know I'm also passionate about letting people know about what they're getting themselves into because you architects don't get paid a lot of money they don't and so, well,
2: that was the if lie we that they sold us all, I mean,
0: oh, I don't know yeah. who said it, but.
2: Yeah, but nobody <laughs> actually said it. I didn't we just always
1: seen, it just to see Exactly. No, my yeah. dad told me. He was like,
2: I blame my <laughs> parents. That, so build parents me a house. <laughs> they said you're gonna build me a house I'm like good luck with yeah. that everyone just thinks of architects and expects every architect to be paid the same amount yeah. yeah they made massive sacrifices to get where they were you know like mm-hmm. and sometimes you need to think are you willing to take make those sacrifices like what's what matters more to you do you want to have mm-hmm. a healthier work-life balance do you want to have mm-hmm. a family this and that and it's sad that you have to sort of make massive compromises it's true Yeah, you know, it's true throughout your career especially in our section as a woman yes that's very true because
0: um when one of my mentors and who was also one of my previous employers always just told me that yeah like in her time it was normal for women not to really you know get married or have children now Of course, those are choices. And if people desire those things, you know, then that's fine. But it was normal. But, you know, if we look at um, the times now, a lot more people are getting married and divorced. But um, (laughs) (laughs) we have to, no, we have to bring the facts. (laughs) I I can't (laughs) pretend. You know, times have changed, but also women are having um, families later on generally speaking but then women in architecture i think you know you just have to understand like sometimes by the time you're you know late 20s it's before you you qualify and maybe sometimes people want to have a family and you know these are things that aren't spoken about
2: talk about it it needs to be heard (laughs) no Uh,
1: yeah it's like i I was gonna say what age did you um did you qualify
0: as an architect I mean I only qualified last year and I was 29 I just turned 29 so you have the
2: same kind of I mean (laughs) yeah seven years is the biggest lie I've ever heard yeah (laughs) it's never seven years I think we need to also stop like celebrating how early you you know become an architect like oh yeah I did it within seven years it's like well okay that's great but it's just like <laughs> how to describe it as in in a way it makes people feel like if they exceed seven years like they're not they're good they or yeah exactly yeah. they're not good enough or like they had they struggled more or something like that and it's just like everyone's journey is different you know yeah
0: mm-hmm. it's a tricky one it's a tricky one because I think you know I mean it was very silly target but I was just like no I need yeah. to do it from i 28
2: I was like, this seven-year mark, it has to be that. Like, I'm-
0: I want to enjoy my 20s. <laughs> no, real talk, real talk. We'll come back to where I am now, post part three. And yeah, it's a very interesting place. I'll go back to the story, the journey, part one. So finished, graduated and couldn't find a job. But I was exhausted. And I think when I say exhausted, I mean mentally exhausted um, just from everything that that had happened and you know in this day and age I'm really happy when I see young women or you know get placements and it's very quickly I'm just like yes good good for you but that wasn't my story I think for me you know I I was into a a moment of or an episode of depression for a very long time I mean I was still getting on doing the things I needed to do but especially when it came to architecture it was very tough you know I can't say I snapped out of it one day and I can't say I recognized it was depression then I think you know talking about mental health still (laughs) wasn't a fashionable thing to speak about it wasn't as open so I think coming out of that I was yeah it, it was a dark time but I was still working and good thing is I was working at Apple and you know it was a cool job to have you know it made me come out of my shell because generally I'm quite an introvert I like to keep myself to myself and I'm, I'm happy being by myself but I can also struck up a good conversation with somebody but I think that's where I learned those kind of skills because when you have somebody screaming in your face saying my iPhone screen has cracked <laughs> what can you do I need a replacement now and you need to be able to de-escalate the situation you know you learn those skills or you learn skills such as presenting or you know helping customers with you know creative apps or helping them set up their devices you know just being in the know about technology and plus I'm a geek about these things Um, you know people you know say oh Antonia it's not everyday Apple but you know I'm somebody's Apple technician every day somebody's asking me can you fix my phone and I like actually left that job over five six years ago but anyway we move and so I worked there for a while and you know it was a great place to work you definitely earn more money as a part one Um, you could definitely move up in the company but I knew this is not what I wanted to do so I think you know, my first freelance gig came from me speaking to selling a product to somebody I can't even remember. And he was just like, oh, yeah, can you just draw up some plans for me? I'll pay you. I was like, yeah, that's fine. And that's how it kind of started. You know, I think the person just needed like a part one or just somebody who was just competent with like drawing skills. And I think sometimes as part ones, you can enter practice or you can enter however you find work. And you may think, "Oh." You know, I don't know everything, but no, they need your skills. You know, they need your skills. You know, architects don't always have time to do visualizations. To be honest, this is why I'm not saying this is a part one's job, but you are more up to date on these things. You are more up to date on visuals and getting these things done because you've done them for your portfolios and they look amazing. So you are skilled, and I do believe that part ones do bring something to the table. Or graduates, let's put those graduates. Let's say graduates and so that was good then i met somebody else as well who said the same thing and then offered me some freelance i was just like i actually do enjoy doing this so then i said okay let me start fixing up my cv portfolio bear in mind this was like eight months since post um graduation so you know even though i was working at apple it was fine it was still like this is not what i want to do day in day out keep going you know but i still had bills to pay so you have to work. Then one day there was an event going on with the RIB. I just said, I'm just going to put my, myself out there. I'm just just going to do this. I'm going to start doing the things I enjoy again. And so I went to an event. It was I just decided to go, met some people. It was like networking. I was definitely the youngest in the room. It was fine. Met a few people and somebody said, oh, you know, what are you doing now? I'm just like, oh, I'm working, blah, blah, blah. I'm looking for a part one position. Oh, send me your CV. Now, this is where I always say to people, you need to be prepared because you just never know. Recruitment in architecture is very strange. It's, sometimes it's, it's not like the other industries where it's like two, three months courtship where you're just going back and forth, you know, differing rounds. Sometimes it is maybe as senior as you get. I, I can't, I can't um, attest to that because I, that hasn't been my experience, but you could do an interview tomorrow and start on Friday it's strange so when she said send me your cv i was like wow yes i need to fix up my cv but luckily i had already had my cv like done so i sent it to her they saw my cv and uh, this practice and it's like yeah come for an interview now i didn't know this woman from anywhere and but can you imagine if i didn't put myself out there mm. i think that's the point of the story the point of that and is putting yourself out there because you just never know and just being open sent her my cv they asked for an interview i came in did it the next week started the job (laughs) it was very quick but then bear in mind this was in january but during that time also i hadn't been just sitting down doing nothing even Mm. though i wasn't in the great um frame of mind I had um, just been looking for other opportunities so volunteering opportunities so um, there was this competition by the Inca Foundation in Ghana to help build some houses in rural Ghana and you know I applied I was like yeah why not let's see three months was it gonna hurt as if I'm doing a part one job anyway um, got it but then I also got this job as well so I just told them, oh, this was it for three months. But of course, I can't really take three months out. So instead, I took three weeks, three to four weeks, went out to Ghana. But then they used it. I managed to use that time as my study leave. Because if you work in an RIBA charter practice, you should be able to get study leave for like PDRs, et cetera. And did that, went to rural Ghana, went to a village, never been it's excellent, built this um earth house it was great so I think for me that was good for my experience I was like yeah I mean how do you even know how to build a (laughs) building (laughs) but we were all figuring it out and I think if we don't get anything from this conversation this is it everybody is just figuring it out even if they come across like they know what they're doing they don't I mean some do but we're still figuring it out. No, they don't. They
2: don't <laughs> or they're just really good at pretending. So. Exactly. They tell you that, Amy. Um,
0: yeah, so then it, that was in January and I I was thinking, oh, I think I want to do my part too But then I felt it's not enough time for doing a part one year out so I always just felt quite insecure about that so I tried to get as much as experience like as I could during practice you know I'd ask certain things in hindsight I think I wish I asked more questions about the process of building rather than just trying to get my tasks done and just do a good job I think I wish I just asked more questions long story short part two finished so it was just January to September my part one year out and I just felt oh that's not enough so I started my part two and because of my experience on undergrad I just felt no way I'm never going to be made to feel a certain way again so I was I was going overboard and when I say going overboard I just wanted to do a good job And, you know, some people may be, may say, oh, you were on edge or you were, I was just very focused, extremely focused. Like I just would not even like take some downtime to enjoy myself. No, at one point it got really unhealthy where I would just be doing silly hours. And, you know, I try to tell some of my mentees now, it's not worth it. Just go to sleep (laughs) and do it the next day, because it really is about how you do it's just how you manage your time and you know you learn these things but during that time also I still needed to work I keep saying I don't have it like that I still had to work and you know who is going to hire a part one part-time whilst they study you know and you know I was in Canterbury and it was only so many practices then I was just like and how is this even going to be possible who's going to trust me but I don't care I called up every practice that i knew or i found construction companies i said oh do you need like a draft person well i know we don't do that (laughs) (laughs) um you know i put myself out there and i you know i sent emails sent my cv slash portfolio whatever i just kind of left it so in november i get like an email saying oh you know yes you know we're in a transitional space you know it would be really good if you could come in for an interview had an interview with this um, architect and she was like yeah we can keep it going yeah I think it'll be good We I can hire you for you can do one or two days a week and then during term time half term etc holiday you can do full time if you want And, you know, I was just like, yes, a job. Yes, money. And of course, it's good for me because I needed to earn money. And it's good. It was good for her because she needed some help. So it was a win-win situation. But I think I underestimated what working and studying would be like, number one. And so that was quite tricky. So I did that for two years for my master's. But that was the most I learned in, uh, in that short period of time, even though I was doing one or two days per week, um, because it was just myself and the director. And because she was also quite a specialist in what she was doing, she also had um, other interests. She was also an adjudicator, an expert witness. So she was also into the legal side of things. So I mean, she would be very detail orientated when it came to things such as writing emails or, you know, how you say things, how you, you know, just because of thinking about claims, and if people can come and, you know, sue you. But, you know, as a part one slash part two, you're not really thinking like that. But I think for me, now, when I look at my experience, I draw back from that, because I'm very careful with what I say in my emails because it will all be used as evidence. It doesn't matter. I'm not saying that something is gonna like somebody's gonna make a claim. <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: <laughs> but it's it's real responsibility because it's people's homes, it's things that you're building. Also, she was building two homes at the time and I was able to just you know walk from uni to the site and see things being built from the ground up how we did all those drawings and because it was also all off-site and passive house I mean then not many people were doing that now it's really loud and the industry is like yeah passive house yay off-site construction net zero carbon all these words everybody likes to throw around but I learned so much during that time. And like I said, you know, I soaked it all up. And, you know, she would just teach me so many things, would have so many conversations. Now, yeah, you could say, oh, maybe it was just lucky that you came into a position like this. Maybe. Um, It could be. But I definitely pushed. But it also wasn't easy because there were moments where I was just like, ah, like, (laughs) I want to quit. But it happens. And It was, like I said, the best experience of my life. I say this to say, be open. You just never know where your opportunities are gonna come from. And I think when we speak about business, it's the same thing, be open. You never know where your next client is gonna come from. Hence, you need to put yourself out there. Hence, you need to meet people. Hence, you need to speak to people. Um, Yes, it's difficult in COVID, but I think I've probably met more people digitally in the last year than I have and this is one of the examples um, we haven't met physically yet but we're doing this um digitally and this is this is great this is part of it
1: but yeah how was your part three experience like and you know qualifying as an architect and then um, the question following that would be mm-hmm. you know what is your typical day in the life as an architect and what exactly do you do
0: okay and explain to our viewers what, what that is okay yeah sure that sounds good um part three part three i think i just wanted to get it over and done with but i believe in research do your research um i did i i had a lot i had a lot of research from part one which is silly but nobody told me these things but i think this is one of the things people forget or this is a symptom of society we don't read when I say we don't read people just skim through things and just keep it moving like reading is essential and when I say reading I mean details so sometimes people be like oh but I don't know that was there no have you actually searched for it and looked for it if you really cannot find it that then you reach out to people but I do believe people are lazy but anyway I'm just being very real. Hey, <laughs> Mandy
2: why are you laughing?
0: Let you talk about <laughs> <laughs> I do not like to read, too wow. Oh, girl, no, no, no. You need to read. And I'm not talking about, sometimes it's not just like fiction or, you know, but you just need to, you just need your finger on the pulse. Is that what they say? You need to know what's happening in the industry. Yeah,
2: you're right.
0: If you read, if you said, I'm going to read one article a week in architecture, fine. And read something else in another um, industry because I don't believe we should be um, tunnel vision you should know what's happening you should know what's happening politically and how that affects your industry you should know you know current affairs what's happening you know when COVID happened you know everyone was just lots of reason people did not know what to do some architecture practices closed down because they said they could not work from home which I thought was very strange but anyway part three so I had a lot of research from part one part two times I knew I wanted to do my part three because I said I've seen I've seen a black woman architect I've seen Elsie Owusu so it's possible it is like I'm not I'm not dreaming up this thing I, I it's possible now there were times where I just felt nah I can't imagine myself doing it I can't imagine myself here and doing what an architect does but i was just like, no it exists there's some there's a black woman on the register there are multiple there's plenty of us no in comparison to the rest of the uk there's not many of us but we exist so i did what i wanted to get it over and done with but research is important um spoke to a few people in the practice i said this is what i wanted to do and i think you also need to find I don't know if there's such thing as the right project, but you want a project with its complexities, with its challenges, and every project has that. Um, They say ideally you need a project to see it through. Um, It's not true. If you read, times have changed. You may not even find a traditional project that you can see right from the beginning to the end. If you do, then you're blessed, you're lucky, but as long as you can find something that you can talk about and critically analyse. And so the project I was working on, I said I wanted to do it. One of the main things for me was proximity from work. So it was either Westminster or the Bartlett. So I just wanted to be able to come out of work and run to my lectures. That was one of it as well. But also looking at the course content. I chose the Bartlett, the practice sponsored um, um, the part three. And, you know, it's a good thing um, if you can get practice to do that. Great. Um, I'm of the view where it's your education. It's your professional development. You should be able to um, if you need to save up for it, save up for it and pay for it yourself. Um, nothing's ever been handed to me. So, you know, everything comes at a cost. <laughs> um, so part three, oh man. Oh, man.
1: Um,
0: I- no, I have to be honest. I have to be honest. It is challenging. I think the challenging part is not the content of the course, it's managing your time, number one, because if you're a part two with responsibility, responsibilities at work, um, managing your time with having to do assignments or exams and attending lectures at the same time, it's tough. Um, The Bartlett is very intense. It's a good course, but it's intense. It's good in the sense that, look at me plugging them, but (laughs) (laughs) it's good because each um, module that you take or each unit relates to the ARB criteria that you have to pass, which most part three courses do. But within that, their modes of assessment was very, was different from each. You know, some will just have all exams, some would have all essays but no so for example the module and there's a criteria that has to do with clients and professional services we had a real client that we had to pitch our services to and how we would go about it if we were chosen on the project but then that in itself we were given um, personality tests so we were put in a group and they tried to simulate it like real world because you're going to be working with some characters that you may not gel with So, you know, or you may have people who may not necessarily pull their weight. So in those instances, you know, how do you work together as a team to show the client? Yes, we are the best people for the job. And that was one of the things I was like, wow, like this is where my money went we even had like a professional actor at one point come to give us like lessons in how to, you know, presentations, you know, we were like mm, all these exercises, breathing exercises like improv and whatnot. And and I think that's, apart from that, each of the lectures were, wow, I'm really plugging them. <laughs> each of the lectures were all specialists from the fields that they came to speak to and they were all on top of their knowledge. And so I just felt yeah, this is worth my money. Was it intense? Yes, because apart from the lectures, you had assessments at the end of each um, unit, at the same time, you had um, sometimes exams, but then at the same time you had to be doing your PEDRs, you had to be writing your case study, and then you had to be doing your professional appraisal, student appraisal, I think that's what it's called, and you had a full-time job. So when I say it was intense, yeah, it was intense, but I think I had to say to myself, it's a year of my life. Well, it wasn't a year because it got pushed out because it's COVID. Um, and if in a year out of how many years of my life can I sacrifice this time? Can I sacrifice uh, birthday parties? Can I sacrifice meeting friends? Can I sacrifice my social life? Uh, majority of your social life yes there were there were times where I just felt nah I don't know if I'm gonna pass that was an intense time okay finally I passed part three yay it's a good thing it's a good thing but then I think I kind of found myself like almost like what next what next and you're like yeah you're an architect okay but what what does that actually mean what does an architect do I think being labeled an architectural assistant sometimes could do some mental gymnastics in your mind because you don't want to see yourself as an assistant because, you know, it is a mindset switch because there is a big difference in being an architectural assistant the day before and then the next day that you qualify because now you're now liable. You Somebody can sue you, somebody can make claims against you because you're responsible for the public. And it's a big responsibility. And some people don't want that, some people do. And you know, you have a duty to uphold. Okay, day in a life as an architect. I think that it really depends. It really depends on the practice size that you work in it really depends on the project that you're working on and at which stage so i know that's a vague answer but you know an architect does many things many, many things so maybe I should bring it back to myself as to what I'm doing now. So I'm currently working on a project and it's in the planning stages, pre-planning. We haven't got into planning yet, but when, they were, you know, working up the design of it, etc. Um, Sometimes you can find yourself in practices where if it's a big practice as an architect, you may not get to do some design because it may be the people at the top who design it. You make it work. Or you could be in a smaller practice, a really small practice where you're doing everything. Not just doing design, you are doing marketing. You are doing every and anything in between admin. Whereas in larger practices, they may have different um, departments for that. So currently I'm, I'm running a project which is where responsible for design. Of course, there are other people who are involved, who oversee it and make sure that it is. But it's literally everything is on my plate so it's it's great yeah it could mean different things it could mean you're sketching um but I'm at stage two so it's all concept design so it's all the fun stuff people enjoy um but then once it starts moving into the technical stages then that's when you can find yourself doing something different you can find yourself doing a lot of details for example today I was on site I went to have a look at the building that I'm dealing with and you know have someone take me around because I just think I can't just draw from pictures and whatever I need to understand what I'm dealing with but everyone's different so I don't know if that answers your question it's probably very vague but it really depends. To be honest I was kind of expecting a kind of vague (laughs) answer because I mean they just
1: they they do so much like 've got so many things I mean from my practice I mean I, I don't work in an architectural firm but I work in construction and
3: mm-hmm.
1: they, they just do many jobs all at once it doesn't even matter the title like the title doesn't really explain yeah what what is exactly the person does so um, so yeah, yeah
0: no no it's true. Um, but also you have um, if it's like sometimes it can feel quite foreign if you don't know what's meant to be happening at what stage. Um, but there's so many resources out there, and this is why I keep saying people need to read. You have the RIBA job book. It's a very good book in the sense that at each stage, it breaks down different things that you need to be doing and what needs to be happening. The Architects app, That's so created good. by mm-hmm. our very own Tara and Lanwe Bolade. It is a very good place. It's a very good on the go, you know, being able to reference it. So I would say, if you don't know where to start from those, those two things are very, very easy to start from. And the thing is, even people um, far ahead in their career still turn back to the RIBA job book, because every project is different. You can't treat every project the same. You can learn from different principles and apply it, but yeah
2: about like your personality and so like how did you feel about you know and also the personality like tests that you did as well do you feel like there's a certain personality trait that is better suited uh, for an architect and is this sort of this sort of stigma out there that you need to be this kind of person to be be the architect you know
0: <laughs> no yeah no that's a very good question I think with so this is going to probably be a very holistic or philosophical answer because it's I I can say oh yeah you need to have this and you need to have that Um, and yeah there are certain traits I will say which are applicable but the truth is we're we're, we're human beings we're people we're ultimately designing for people so I can't tell somebody well you don't have the traits of an architect to me that's very stupid (laughs) why would anyone say that you know even though it's been said kind of or implied or you really shouldn't be an architect but who is to say that you can't or you you shouldn't be an architect so that's my stance on that in terms of certain characteristics that you can develop and some of these are skills as well so it won't necessarily be oh you should have it because I, I wouldn't say I was somebody who was who knew how to have you know a good conversation or something like that. I had to learn. I had to put myself in uncomfortable situations. I had to learn how to maintain eye contact. I had to learn how to present myself. Um, Those took time, um, especially uh, when you have crits, because crits don't stop they're just different forms of crits as you continue as as an architect you know you're presenting to the planning committee you're presenting to the client you know it's all there so presentation skills you need to know how to sell your idea hence i think my apple training came in you know selling macbooks iphones whatever it's interesting
2: that like apple gave you the, the training that you needed compared yeah. to uni
0: like exactly it's,
2: it's crazy how
0: <laughs> no, you pay,
2: yeah. pay for this but then when we work <laughs>
0: yeah no it's true when yeah. we work
2: we get like if we are working somewhere else we get like more pro- like proper skills out of it and it's it's really it goes to show that architecture is a practical you know course and so maybe the there needs to be this sort of link with with the industry and actually I agree actively. I agree, but, yeah. and-
0: I'm I'm all all of
2: the discussion. (laughs) (laughs) No, yeah, it's true.
0: And I keep saying people should be open in terms of where they work, because just because you may not work in an architecture practice doesn't mean your skills are not valid. Um, For example, with you, Naomi, you're working in a construction company. You know, there's going to be certain experiences that you will have that I would never see. Well, not never, but I haven't seen because I'm not in a construction company and I don't know the internal workings. But these are all transferable skills.
3: Mm, um, yeah. Neva was saying
1: something similar in one of our episodes that mm. she um, that she worked uh, I think at a bar and that also helped with her presentation and or like I guess gaining the confidence in order to to exactly. present her work. And so yeah, no, absolutely right. I wonder if anyone else, uh, maybe maybe Sin Ray, haven't heard much from you guys, what you guys think uh, you know the kind of personality it takes um mm. to even study architectural you
3: know what do you guys think it's it's interesting because actually architecture being in architecture has helped me in my job that i have now i have to deal with a lot of responsibility i have to talk to a lot of important people and deal with a lot of important things it's not it's not the same as building or, like a project like that. But I deal with money and I deal with a lot of money because the fine jewelry industry, you know, it's not just money from a business being tossed around, it's real people's money and it's real people's like investments. And it's, you know, I think dealing with a massive responsibility like that. I learned from architecture, especially just communications wise, learning to communicate to people via networking. I'm able to transfer those skills into communicating on a day to day basis. But I think the biggest thing was the idea of responsibility and timekeeping and also being able to manage multiple tasks at once. I think it's a vice versa thing. Like you can be in a job that's not architecture related, but it can prep you for architecture later, and then vice versa. You can come from architecture but have so many transferable skills from there to apply to something else. And you're right, it it means that you can go back and forth. You can't, you don't necessarily have to completely close the door on one or the other. I think that's what's so nice about the versatility of learning architecture and being in the degree. Despite how tiring lumbering it might be, I
2: think I'll jump in quickly. Um, so, what's next for you? Do you, like I guess you've qualified as an architect, so congratulations. Are you going you know, to for the long run? Are you just going to keep going, or you're more open minded to like you know trying different things out um, within the industry?
0: That's a very good question. <laughs> um, I think it's too early to say in the long haul, but um, I will say one thing I am learning, and this is uh, one thing I hate for myself and for my personal development is stagnation.
2: Mm. I
0: hate being stuck. I hate being not being able to grow, but then also it's a bit strange because I also hate growth. <laughs> sometimes because growth is uncomfortable but i know i need it so in it for the long haul um i don't know do i need to stay adaptable yes because it reminds me have you seen hidden figures the movie or read the book mm. do you remember the scene where they brought in these ibm machines and they're really trying to figure it out but sis was ahead of the curve yeah.
3: because
0: she went to the library started looking at her books i think that's where i want to be I need to be able to be adaptable because the industry is changing so quickly and I think if you don't adapt to what is happening, you will get left behind. Like people who did not adopt CAD back in the day and they were stuck with pencil or pen or some people who will not adopt BIM. Or, you know, because they don't want to and they will be stuck with 2D. I think where I am is I need to keep my finger on the pulse on the profession and I want to be adaptable. Um, But then learning new things isn't always easy, isn't always comfortable. But I think as an architect, you need to learn to be that because things, regulations, just everything is already changing. Technology alone. That's where I am. So, yeah, that's it. That's very really
2: interesting. Like, Do you think architects will always exist just in the future, 2025, 2050? Because the industry is always shifting. The role of the architect is changing. Will architects be the same as we know them today? Um, things are being more automated. You talked about the change in technology as well. What's your thoughts on that? I think...
0: 2025, yeah, there will probably be architects around because there are projects that are going to be taking longer because we build for the future. So yeah. it's not going to be around there. Um, 2050, <laughs> I, don't <know. laughs> I don't know. I don't know because, like, like I said, everything is changing so fast and our role may change, whatever that will be. And hence, I keep saying we need to keep our finger on the pulse. Not just what's happening in the industry, but just wider, just in society, just understanding. Now, you know, we could predict and say, oh, you know, architects are going to become obsolete and machines are going to take over. Probably. Who knows? But in the meantime, what are we doing to understand the change that could possibly happen? How are we equipping ourselves? And we do have a lot of transferable skills. So, maybe in the future, architects may not be called architects anymore. They may be called something different idea generators, who knows? <laughs> um, but,
2: <Hey>. Shakura! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just kind of <laughs> <laughs> change the name. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it just present itself in a new format, I guess, because you'll always need some kind of innovation and creativity. Exactly. Like, the skills will always be needed, but not in the same exactly. format. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I think
0: even though you have AI that could predict or can predict human behavior at times, because when we design, we are we are designing for people I'm going to say we are designing for people and you know AI could help with that but the truth is people are people people can be sometimes unpredictable but they can also be and so I'm also interested in studying just people I wish I studied psychology at one point because I truly believe this is this is helpful to architects and in understanding not even just the needs because we're not designing for just the needs we're we're designing for human behaviors we're designing for I don't know interactions to happen
3: Mm. you know
0: this you know last year when the world was up in the air it's like oh everything's gonna change yeah things are going to change and things are changing but are they changing fast enough architecture is a very slow career but it could change but I need to be adaptable and we all need to be adaptable
2: honestly we're getting there slowly but surely but Antonia it has been awesome. like you have cuts on everything <laughs> <laughs> part one foundation part, part, part three and beyond even 2050
0: <laughs> yeah um Thank you so much for having me this has been fun i'm always happy to talk about my journey i think sometimes during the journey it hasn't always been easy um i'm not gonna lie to you there have been tears um but we just have to keep it real um it happens but lastly i will say i think you know every day i'm looking for new opportunities to learn and i think this is you could say this is a trait of an architect but you should every day is an opportunity to learn and value every single experience and every single opportunity. Um, I think when um, my sister-in-law put me in touch with you, Amanda, I mean, I was just like, oh yeah, you know, I've listened to the podcast, it's great. Da, da, da. Do I wanna do this? Yes, but am I scared? Yes, I'm being really honest with you guys because I'm just like, oh, I don't like putting myself out there, but I've always said to myself, if I know my story can help somebody, yeah. So get over yourself and just do it. So. I value yeah. this time that we spent together, and yeah, hopefully we, we can were, meet in person.
2: Yeah, yeah love I'm that. You no, know it's crazy. Yeah. We haven't seen each other. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. COVID, we're months, still going yeah. strong. But yeah, but would love to meet you one day. Honestly, we amazing.
1: Anyway, just to wrap up at the end of the episode, Um, thank you so much Antonio for being with us, sharing your story and all your ups and downs, your struggles, everything and um, for all of your advice as well. And um, I'm sure our listeners would really appreciate it. It's been a really good insight into your life and kind of what you do. I feel like I know you're on a person. (laughs) That's good. That's That's, that's the whole point. (laughs) That's but like you thing. know when you go out for drinks you know and just get to know someone <laughs> go, yeah it's the same thing yeah
0: now the whole world's gonna know <laughs>
1: <Bye>. <laughs> but yeah uh thank you so much for listening today um antonio is there anywhere um you'd want people to know to find you on social media maybe instagram or what about yeah, that's i'm That's on linkedin
0: fine. find me there you can chat yeah. to me on linkedin yes. so if there you tag me on linkedin i will share and repost and like etc yeah amazing all amazing. right it's uh
1: officially a wrap it's thank a wrap. you <laughs>
2: ooh, ooh, <what's>
1: <laughs>